Welcome to David and David on Real Estate. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of the real estate market. Good morning. Welcome to the David and David on Real Estate podcast. And we are today on episode number 46. 46. And we have a very special guest. We have uh, my internal accountant, Brett Starkman. Brett, welcome to the David and David on Real Estate podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you. And just to clarify, I'm your external accountant, not your internal accountant. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. I uh, guess. <laughs> I know, David, you were just making sure I was on my accountant, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Brett, it's so good to have you on the show. Um, 46 episodes in and uh, you know I, I feel like we probably should have had you in way earlier a uh, very timely topic because today we're going to be talking about personal real estate corporations uh, why they're important why every realtor well not every realtor I take that back we're going to actually be discussing who should be really looking at incorporating prex and we're going to get into all those details so cannot wait uh, for this next hour uh, to have a conversation and to find out more about uh, all the wonderful tax implications. Yeah, and I think before we get into that, uh, Brad, it's great having you on. And, um, you know, the last time the three of us were together was at the Buzz Conference, yes. uh, doing a, a live seminar there on this topic. And we decided that we, we should definitely do this for the podcast as, as well to get it on tape. And, um, and before we get into all that, I think we got we to talk about you a little bit, Brett, because, uh, you know, it, part of what we do here is, we, you know, we, we talk about certain topics, but we also like to know from an entrepreneurial point of view, what every, whatever, any guests we have on are up to, what their background is. Everybody's sort of got an interesting story, and I know you've got a story too. And because part of what we focus on, you know, like David is talking about, you know, not just going on the market or the topic, but what's happening at his brokerage and what's it like as a business owner. And I'm doing the same thing about my law firm. We talk about us as a business owner. So maybe give us a little background of, of you, your career and, and, and your accounting firm. Sure, absolutely. And, and the three of us, we know each other well because we work together, right? On mutual clients, et cetera, David being one of them. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I am a uh, senior tax partner and I'm on the executive committee of our firm, Schwartz-Levitsky-Feldman, um, or SLF. And we're an LLP, a limited liability partnership. We were formed in 1935. Wow. Uh, we, have, we have about 75 people. We're, we have two offices, one in Toronto and one in Montreal. We're a full-service accounting firm. And uh, we provide services in the tax and advisory area. Uh, we do accounting and assurance, assurances audits, uh, business valuations, litigation supports. We do M&A, SHRED, which is uh, an acronym for scientific research and experimental development, uh, forensic accounting, and dare I say it, if you need it, bankruptcy and receivership. <laughs> and we, we, offer, we're, you know, we offer services of a large practice. A lot of us are from the big four. Yet we offer the personal touch of boutique firm. We have a hands-on approach. Um, I am also on the uh, International Tax Committee and on the executive HLB. HLB is our international network. Uh, it's global. And uh, our firm, we have extensive experience in all areas. Um, and real estate happens to be one of our bigger areas. And you know, we handle all types of real estate such as, you know, David's firm brokerages, and we handle development, income producing properties, hotels, commercial, residential, REITs, you name it, we cover it. Well, so I that's just a little bit about our firm. Yeah, and, and I know the value of a firm like yours and an accountant like you, because I get asked all the time on transactions, particularly on, you know, commercial transactions, you know, people say, you know, I'm thinking of doing this, or should I do a joint venture? How should I structure this? Yeah. Or should I do this? I'm thinking of buying or thinking of stuff, whatever it is. And, and my first response always is like, you have an accountant, like you have a tax advisor, because whatever you're going to do to put this deal together is really going to be tax driven at the end of the day, or it should be looked at from that point of view. And once 
someone like Brett Starkman figures it out, you know, then I can do impl implementation and create the documents and, and everything. But I can't create the structure that you can create from, right. a, from a tax point of view, because, you know, whether you're buying a business, small business, you're buying shares, or you're going to buy assets, like that's not a question for the the lawyer, you know, the lawyer's job is, do you have it? Do you have a tax advisor? Because they got to figure out the best way to for you to do that, right? Absolutely. And that's why, David, you and I, you know, we work so well together and we need both of us because, yeah, we'll come up with a structure. We'll come up with a tax advice to minimize taxes because nobody likes paying taxes, let's face it. Right. And then you, you're there to implement, you know, the plan because without, without me giving the structure, without you implementing it, you don't have anything. We need the two of us to work together and come up and, you know, execute that plan for the clients. Well, I know David Korsky loves paying taxes. He loves supporting the oh, government. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why I have both of you guys on my team. <laughs> make sure that, you know, uh, the amount of taxes I pay is minimized every year. <laughs> Well, but it's important, you know, having the right team and, and leaning on your team every step of the way is really important. And, you know, Summit has done, uh, I think, three MMAs. We purchase commercial real estate. You know, we we transact a lot on the brokerage level and, you know, we're very proud of what we've accomplished. And, you know, we couldn't do it with, without a strong team advising us and, and guiding us every step of the way. And David, you know, we've, we've done quite a bit of structuring for you, right? In, in, in buying, in, you know, buying out one of your partners and buying real estate, setting up hold co. So, you know, you've, you've really, um, you know, benefited from, you know, mine and David's work along the way. I would agree. Well, th thanks for throwing me in there, Brett, but but well, you know, we did, I look we at did these work together on a lot of that stuff, David. Yeah, I, I know, but you know, I but I have a whole different level of responsibility. Like, there's lawyers that can get the work done, but we can't come up with with the plan. We can't, come, you know, at least I can't. Like, you know, tax a tax lawyer could, like like a tax accountant could, but you know, but but I have I can't come up with the plan. You know that when I look at it, I see how you structure things. I'm going, oh wow, like okay, like. I can I can figure out how to get that done or how to document, but I couldn't have figured out that how to structure that from a tax point of view to get all these different tax benefits by having you know family trusts and having uh, you know different layers of holding companies and things like that. And and really, when you get the assets and the shareholders into those levels, and then your income comes through there, it's a whole different uh, you know level because really, it's how much money you can have at the end of the day is really what you're focusing on and i guess I know, we talk they, about David, you, you, the same thing yeah no because we, we need to save clients taxes so they can pay us fees right david right <laughs> right uh, but it's amazing like no matter what you charge from from that point of view in terms of your accounting fees or what the legal fees made up compared to the tax savings like it's 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 almost yeah. like it's, it's way beyond it being for free because you're saving so much more on yeah. the tax side that it's it's you have to do it. Like there's no choice. Like it's just so much better for the client and they should be, you know, happy to pay those bills because you're saving them. And it's not just the one time, but you're going to save them year over year over year. That's as correct. those ventures go forward. Right. Yeah, it's, it's on an, it's a, it's an annuity. The tax savings is an annuity. Once you have a structure and, you know, as we talk about the prex, you know, to this morning, you know, everyone will see this tax savings by, you know, when incorporating a practice, you know, as, as David indicated, professional real estate corporation or personal real estate corporation, that there are tax savings to be had. And, you know, the, the one thing I would encourage everybody to kind of look at the situation is when you go to a lawyer who says, hey, I'm going to, you know, incorporate this structure for you without really consulting an accountant. That's like painting everybody with the same brush and saying everybody has the same tax situation. We're going to put everybody in the same boat. We're going to do everything, you know, and that's just the furthest thing from reality because everybody's tax situation is so, so unique and so different. And, you know, it has to be custom tailored to, you know, where you are in life, you know, what your exit strategy is, you know, there's so many variables that come into play and, and you need that 
piece part of your team to really be able to um, get you the, the benefits that you, you need when, when it comes to tax strategy. Yeah, no, absolutely, David. And, and, and as you know, um, you know, firsthand that, yeah, depending upon your situation, if you're single, you know, you're not going to need a family trust, but if you're married and have, you know, uh, one child or children, then the family trust makes a lot of sense for you, you know, because it's, it's just a, it's just a, a way of setting up another entity uh, in case anybody doesn't know what a family trust is. A family trust is just an entity that's set up for the benefit of your beneficiaries being, you know, your wife, your children, you know, nieces, nephews, whoever you decide that you want to, you know, benefit from this family trust and, and, and the family trust would be a shareholder in a company as it is in your case, David. Yeah, so, you know, most of our audience, as you know, are, are real estate agents. They're yeah. listening to this thing. Yeah. And, and this is a relatively new thing, a new opportunity, because in, until last October, there was no such thing as a personal real estate corporation that real estate agents could take advantage of. It was it, a similar concept existed for other professions. Like, you know, uh, lawyers have had it for a while. Like I operate out of a professional corporation. Uh, accountants will do it, uh, you know, certain, you know, uh, doctors, dentists have had professional corporations for a while, but, but it wasn't allowed for real estate. So this is new, relatively new legislation. It's almost you know, six months old now, but it came in October 1st. That yeah, allows... but I think it was October 1st, 2020, David. Oh, sorry, 2020. Yes, 2020. So yeah, time flies when you're having it, when you're in the cold. Yeah, exactly. World, right? So it, it's still relatively new. When this came out, it was like, I know our reaction was, okay, we got to, we got to set this up because every single agent, like there's thousands and thousands of agents in Ontario, every agent's going to go out and, and get a prep. We got to be able to incorporate these things, you know, boom, 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 you know, listen. And then we sort of took a breath and, we, and then we talked to you about it too and said, well, hang on a second. This isn't for every agent, right? It's really, really good for some agents. They should take advantage of it. At some point, every agent might need it, but it's not like every agent needs it right in October 2020 or even, even now, right? So maybe, we could start with that, with your explanation of, you know, why shouldn't they get one? Sure, sure. So, so, uh, and that, that's probably the most important thing uh, to understand. So just to back up for one second. So most real estate agents operate as a sole proprietor, an individual, and, you know, they'll, they'll include, so whether you're a T Ford employee or you're independent and most agents nowadays are independent. And so, you're, which we consider self-employed, but with a, a PRAC, the Personal Real Estate Corporation, um, you now have a company, okay? And, and I'm jumping the gun a little bit, David, because I just want people to know that normally when you have a company, there's limited liability, but with a PRAC, it's unlimited liability. And so what that means is you still have to have insurance and um, because if you make a mistake or have an error, the individual can sue you and it can pierce the corporate veil. So in other words, you're ultimately responsible. So just because you have a company, people hear, oh, companies, you have limited liability. Not in this case, and the same thing, David, with, you know, um, our professional corporations, as you mentioned, for lawyers, accountants, dentists, and doctors, Again, the government doesn't want us to hide behind a corporate veil, so we're all still liable. Now, here comes the good part. So who should be setting it up? Anybody that can save money and leave money in their corporation, okay, the PREC. Because if you can't leave money in the PREC and you take everything out, you're going to be paying tax on it as if you never incorporated. Now, you may say, so what level can you uh, or should you set up a prep if I'm making how much money? And that is really irrelevant. And the reason I say that is because we have clients that make, you know, $60,000 a year and they can save money. And then we have real estate agents that make, you know, a quarter million dollars a year and they can't save. They spend every single penny they have. So if I have somebody that's making a quarter million dollars and I say, well, how much do you save? And they say, oh, nothing. I, I spend everything. 
between my mortgage and my, my, my lease payments and my vacations, I said, well, then it's not for you because you know, all you're going to be doing is, is paying David legal fees and me accounting fees. And at the end of the day, you're not going to have any tax savings. But then I have a guy with $60,000 and says, oh no, I, I can save 20,000 or even 10,000. I said, well, then that's great. And here's the reason why. If somebody is at the top tax rate, so I'm just using the top tax rate because it's, it's simple. And the top tax rate is 220,000 where you're gonna be paying close to 54% tax. Now, over 150, you're paying 50% tax. And you know, over uh, 130, you're paying 46.4. So you can see you're getting up to higher rates pretty quickly. So let's use the 50% rate. So in a company, in this prac, on the first 500,000, after all your expenses, all you're paying is 12.2% tax, okay? So if you are earning, so even if you're saving $10,000 and you're only paying 12.2% tax, and $10,000, you're paying $1,200 tax. But if you're in the top rate, you'd be paying on that same $10,000 at 50%, you'd be paying 5,000 or the top rate, $5,400. So you can see that spread just between $1,200 and $5,000. You're saving $3,800 just like that by having the corporation. And most people save more than $10,000 in their company. And um, so you can see you know, just as you multiply by $10,000, $3,800 per 10,000 you're saving in taxes, that's quite a bit of money. Yeah, but one of the keys, that money has to stay in the corporation. That is correct. So what we call that, David, is we call that a deferral, a tax deferral. And the reason being is because eventually, so David Gorski, eventually he's going to want to take money out of his company because he's going to want to buy a new car or, or whatever, whatever reason he wants to take it out. Um, he's going to pay tax at that time. Now, that being said, he may not take it out for 10 years. And so the point being is because he's, you know, he's earning a, a, a good living. And so he's what he's saving is what he doesn't need. He's living on his other income. Okay. So if you're making a hundred thousand dollars and you can save, you know, 20,000, $30,000 in the company, he's living on the, the, the 70, $80,000. Okay. Um, and he doesn't need that money. So what does that mean? <clears throat> that means that $3,800 per 10,000. Okay. Is accumulating. And so let's say you can save $100,000 just to make math easy. You can save $38,000 a year. Now, if you were self-employed, you'd have that much left less and you'd make investments with, let's say your broker or invest in real estate. And the thing is you have much less to invest. But now if you're investing $38,000 a year extra from the pure tax savings, you can invest that much more. So this, this tax deferral is very, very powerful because you can accumulate more and more and more money and earn more and more and more investment income. And it's that's like, the power George. of the tax deferral. David, you want to it's say like, something? It's almost like leveraging, right? Like, exactly, yeah. And it's, it's money you wouldn't have in the first place because you would give it to the government. But now it's money that stays in your account that you can, you know, buy properties with, right? Absolutely. I mean, you can't buy property directly with your prac, but I mean, you can incorporate a holding company and pay uh, pay dividends to the holding company, and then the other holding company can own real estate. Uh, Brett, what what else can you do with that money? Yeah, so let me let me clarify what you said, David, because what you said was a very good point. So <clears throat> the and and David Corman can can even elaborate on this, but the prec cannot be held by a holding company. Um, the prec could buy real estate, <clears throat> but not trade real estate. So it could buy an investment, but as we said at the beginning, and this is why I said at the beginning, there's unlimited liability in a prec. So 
David, as you and I have discussed, and we discussed at the Buzz Conference, what we suggest or recommend to other clients or realtors is that they set up the PREC to earn their active business income, pay the 12.2% tax. Then the after-tax amount, they can loan to a new holding company, David, as you suggest. So David, you would own, let's say the PREC and you would set up a holding company. You would then loan money, interest-free, tax-free, from your PREC to your holding company. And yes, your holding company would make those investments because all that growth in those investments are creditor-proofed, really, right? Because it's in the company and that is a real corporation that you don't have unlimited liability. You have limited liability, so you're protected. So that's exactly correct, David. So you, you can absolutely do that. Now, let's talk about dividends from the holding company. So now you've loaned your money, you've saved this extra money, you loan it to your holding company, you make investments. And as I said, you can make the investments in the PREC, but again, remember you have the unlimited liability. So that's why you, know, you, you gotta think twice, but at the same time, you may wanna accumulate more tax savings before you start the holding company. But anyway, now you've made the money, you put it in the holding company, you're ready to invest. And now you invest in the, in, in the stock market and real estate, rental property, you're getting rental income. There's different tax rates on investment income compared to earned income. So as a realtor, earning income in the PREC, as I said, you're only paying 12.2% tax on the first 500,000. If there's a really successful agent, anything over 500,000, which is over your expenses too, so it's net net, you're paying 26.5%. But an investment company on the rental income or interest income, you're paying 50% tax on that investment income, okay? So now you pay that 50%, but 30.67% is refundable. So effectively, if you pay a dividend out of the holding company, the company's only paying 19.5% tax, okay? Because you are gonna pay tax on a dividend, okay? Now, there's two dividend rates. <clears throat> and I know this is complicated, um, so I'm just gonna keep this for another minute, um, that now you've earned the rental income, you pay the tax of 50%, you can stop there. But if you want that investment income, you take a dividend, and you'll pay 47.7% tax if you're at the top rate, but the company gets back 30.67. So the company's only paying 19 and a half on the investment income, but you're paying 47.7. So if you blend all that together, you're effectively paying the same rate as you would if you owned it personally, but you wouldn't have that tax deferral because you've only paid 12.2% tax in the PREC, okay? Capital gains, you're only paying 25% and dividends on um, public company stock, Canadian public company stock, you're paying 38% effectively. And when you take the dividend out, you're effectively paying that same 38% and the company gets everything back. So that would be a wash. Sorry for that long winded rant, but uh, just want to uh, throw it out there. People can listen to your no, it's, podcast it's over and over again, right? It's important. And, and putting numbers to it, I don't personally know, always helps. I want to just comment on, on just going back a little bit on the limited liability point that you make. And I, I love it when you talk legalese on these things. Um, and, and it's basically like the simple advice that we give to anybody any, anybody that's going into business for themselves, someone wants to buy a small business, open a restaurant, any type of little business, doesn't matter what the, the business is. And generally, you know, we're giving them advice that it'd be a good idea to incorporate. And, and there's sort of two things that are driving it. One is certain tax savings that, that people like Brett can figure out and, and I can't. But the other is that limited liability issue. So instead of you personally being this business in your personal name, you as an entrepreneur, if you incorporate a company and your company is the one that's on the lease and that is 
ordering products and incurring and, and hiring staff and employees and do everything through your company, then if anything goes wrong, it's the company that's responsible for it. If anybody sues the company, if anybody has an accident, even like a personal, like a slip and fall, and, and they sue the, you know, the, the, whoever is uh, responsible for the premises, they're suing the company and not you personally. So they can't come after your personal assets. They can't come after your house and your car and your, and your, your RSPs and, and your investment income, whatever you own in your personal name. They can only go after the corporation's assets, right? So that's the whole purpose of this limited liability. And that's what we're always telling people, you know, incorporate a company to do this, right? So that's the point that you made, you know, back a, you know, a little while ago, Brett, a prep does not give you that limited liability. So you have to be careful what you're doing. So you use the prep as a vehicle just to earn your income. And so instead of David Gorski and his brokerage paying to, you know, to Joe Smith, real estate agent, they pay it to Joe Smith, real estate agents, corporation, all the commission income. So it goes there because there's tax advantages. But then, like Brett said, you got to be careful once the money's there and you want to make investments, what you're, how you're going to do it because you don't have that liability, that limited liability. So if you buy you use that money and buy an investment property, someone slips and falls there, they're suing, you know, they go behind the veil, like you said, they can sue the person behind it in addition to the company. Yeah, I think if, you it, if it's in the if it's in the prep. If it's in the prep. If it's in the holding company, right. So you have say, that limited liability. Take another layer, get it into the holding company so you can get that limited liability protection. And, and one thing, guys, just to know that um, for all the listeners out there, get insurance. As, as David's saying, you know, he's mentioning slip and fall. There's slip and fall insurance. There's liability insurance. So in most cases, your insurance is going to cover you anyway, that they're not going to come after you personally. It's just in case the insurance isn't enough. Yeah. I think uh, this is a really important uh, point. And I think it goes beyond pracs. I think business owners in general have to be very mindful yes. of personal liability, you know, and, and it goes to signing lease contracts, um, commercial mortgages, um, banking agreements, you know, take a really hard look at all those documents that you have in place because everybody asks for extra security. And I think as a business owner, everybody has to be very mindful of what their personal exposure is out there in the marketplace. And everybody has to be, you know, taking steps to really limit personal exposure. Um, you know, the whole point is to build generational wealth, to keep building your wealth. And, and as, as you're taking risks, you know, you want that personal wealth to really be hidden behind layers of security. You have to use instruments like insurance, like Brad said, you have to use instruments like uh, limited liability uh, holding companies and family trusts to really limit and add layers so that if anybody comes after you, you know, they don't go after everything you own. They're limited to um, certain areas that are, are, are exposed. And I think business owners need to do a better job of looking at some of those uh, agreements, banking agreements, commitments, mortgages, leases, and really do a better job of safeguarding themselves personally out there. Yeah. And David, you bring up a, a very good point. And it, it comes under the heading of asset protection. Okay, so we all want to protect our assets. And so, David, as you know, firsthand, we do. We set up holding companies. We set up family trusts. So we get that added layer of protection for you and for our clients. Um, now, one thing that, you know, I want the viewers to understand is with a prec, you can't put those additional layers on top of the PREC. So in other words, as I said at the beginning, the PREC cannot be owned by um, you know, a family trust. It cannot be owned by a holding company. And the reason being is because, as you know, we said that the government wants you to be liable. So there's unlimited liability, but on the holding company, you can certainly set up these type structures. And what we do for clients is, you know, let's say you do have that holding company. And then later on, 
okay, you've now accumulated some, some wealth. At that time, you can do some estate planning because we do a lot of that for clients. And basically, um, you can freeze your value. So let's say you go in the future, now you've saved a million dollars in your company. And you say, you know what? I want to start splitting income, investment income with, you know, family members. So you can do a freeze. You basically exchange your common shares in, in, your, in your investment company and take back the fair value of a million dollars and then issue common shares to a new trust at a nominal amount because you have all the value in your special shares. Okay. Now, investment income you can pay out to, in the form of a dividend, to the family trust and from the family trust out to the beneficiaries. Now, the beneficiaries must be at least 18 years old. But listen to this, listen to the power of this. If you have a child in university and now you're making, you have a million dollars saved and you're, you're making you know, dividends and let's say you're making 5% in the company, that's $50,000 a year. If your child is in university and they have their basic credits, they have the dividend tax credits on those dividends that they're earning on that portfolio, let's say they have Bell Canada shares or, or Rogers, whatever it is, and you pay and you have that 50,000 investment income in that holding company, okay, you then, can pay that dividend up to the family trust and out to your child who's in university. And that fifth, that entire $50,000 can be tax-free. You won't pay one penny tax on it other than EHT of a few hundred bucks, employer health tax. Okay, that's it. But if you were to take out that $50,000, you'd be paying 40% tax. So it's very, very powerful splitting income. Now, you can't split income even with 18-year-olds if it's earned income or active income because they came out, the government came out in 2018 with these new rules that we affectionately call TOSI. And that's an acronym, T-O-S-I, for Tax on Split Income. So the government in 2018 said, you can, you can no longer pay those $50,000 out tax-free from your earned income each and every year, which is what we used to do. Now, the only time you can pay dividends out to your child from active income is if your child is actually working in the business at least 20 hours. The toss rules are a lot more complicated than that, but I'm just simplifying it to let you know, if you have a child that's working in your business and has shares, you can only pay dividends to them if they're actually working in the business and the dividends have to be reasonable. But with the investment income, it's a different story. Okay, I just wanted to, to let the audience that's know that. 20 hours a week, right? Which is like a- Yes, half, David, thank you for clarifying. Half-time job, like, uh, you know, while they're going to school. But if yeah. you can legitimately set it up that way, depending on the, what the business is, and then if they are, you would be paying them like an hourly rate for that, those 20 hours too, to show that as some sort of income to help establish yes. that? Yeah, oh, you have to. And, 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 and um, well, I shouldn't say you have to, but they do have to be working 20 hours. But what better way of doing it by paying them a salary and, you know, making withholdings to, to the government, just like any right. other. So you, you know, pay the minimum wage or whatever. But, and yeah, minimum wage. And on and that. Yeah, because if they're paying minimum wage and you're saying, well, if minimum wage is $15, but, you know, they're entitled to $25 an hour, I'll pay the minimum wage and then I can top up the extra $10 an hour via dividends because dividends will be tax taxed at a preferential rate, okay, because you're only paying 12.2% tax on the company. Um, and just to let you know, TOSI, tax on split income, does not apply to salaries. So you can pay your child or your wife a salary and not have to worry about the dividends and the tossy right. it's only on dividends that the, the, the tossy would apply in this particular example yeah so i, I want to just go back a little bit 
uh, you know, back to the preps for a second, because so that and, and anybody listening to this could understand and appreciate like, like this is a great opportunity. So the government says you got you agents out there, you got this opportunity to do something special and structure yourself. So you've got you can get these tax savings to take advantage of. But there's certain rules that you have to follow in, in organizing and setting this up properly. And the key rule is, you know, we talk about shareholders. So there's share, there's equity shares, there's non-equity shares. So the equity shares, the, the real difference is they're the voting rights. They're the ones that control the actual corporation. So the government says, when if you're a real estate agent, we, we only want the licensed real estate agent to be the equity shareholder. They have to be the controlling person of the corporation. So they're going to own the equity, the voting shares. They're going to be the mind of the company. They're the, the officer director of the company controlling the company. So that's you know the basic rule that you have to pay attention to when we're structuring these things. Yes. But other family members can have non-equity shares to give you these opportunities for income splitting and, and things like that, that that Brett can figure out. So that's what we have to do. So controlling shareholder is the licensed real estate agent only. Right. So as long as we follow that and set it up properly like that, we then give other types of shares to a spouse, to children, uh, you know, creating uh, trusts and things like that can be done with the non-equity shares. Right. Not trust, though. Not trust. Not right. Only only directly to the children, to the children and and to the wife. And, and as I said, but to pay them salaries, no problem from the PREC. Um, but you could pay them salaries if you're self-employed as well. Um, but they could get dividends, David, as you suggest, if they had these non-equity um, shares, non-voting equity shares, they can get dividends. But again, they'd have to be working 20 hours a week in the business to get those dividends. Right. And, and based on your advice, you may or may not give those type of non-equity shares to spouses or children. You might say, no, just let's just have the licensed real estate agent be the only shareholder of the PREC because we're also doing this other layer, having a holding company. And we can do all that in the holding company. We can give different types of shares to the spouse and children and family trusts and do all that. So let's, instead of doing it in the PREC, let's just do it in, in a separate holding company and set up that way, right? Absolutely. I'm, and, I'm learning and, this as we go. Yeah. And for, and, you know, David, you know, you and I, we've set up quite a few clients already with these precs. And as you and I know, we really, we've allowed for special shares in the articles of incorporation, but we haven't really issued any for the exact reason that you just said, is that they'll get shares in, in the holding company or in the investment company when they eventually set that up. And also we can pay them salaries if they're working in the business from the prec. So we can still split income, but just in the form of salary. Yeah, and, and there's all, David Gorski could comment, like there's a lot of real estate agents that, that operate that way. Like they might be the licensed real estate agent um, is the one, you know, active in the business. So they would be the shoulder, but some of them do have a spouse or a child or an adult child that legitimately is helping them out in the business that's doing some of their admin work and, and other things. They're not a licensed agent, but they're legitimately doing that. So like this doesn't take anything away. This actually adds to it because they can still be earning those salaries. So the, you know, right, David, like there's a lot of agents that, that have that type of support from family members. Yeah, especially younger children on the social media side is, is really big, but you know, you're, you're a sole entrepreneur, right? And I mean, it's hard to run a business all by yourself. So when you can have the family component and, and especially if you have elder kids, uh, you know, uh, pitch in and, and help with some of those tasks. Uh, I mean, it makes the business run that much smoother as well. And and uh, both David and David, um, I think that it would be, because I can't speak to this, but because we're on the topic of prex, I think it's very important that um, the two of you um, talk about what is required when an agent does decide to take the plunge and um, you know, get that prec. There's like the, this, uh, you know, um, trilateral agreement. Tri-party. I'm going to let you guys talk about that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, but, you know, the first step is, is doing the incorporation itself. So I think we've sort of touched on that. We got to do the proper share structure, appoint officers, directors, things like that. And it's really the company is just to create this flow through. So instead of David Gorski's brokerage paying the agent, they're paying the commission to the to the prec. But the government says, OK, you got to create the prec, but but we have certain other rules to follow. And and Sutton Sum is not allowed to pay the prec unless they're satisfied that it's set up properly and structured properly and you have to enter into what Brett is saying this tri-party agreement which is a three-party agreement between the licensed agent his own professional corporation that he's incorporated and the brokerage Sutton Summit so the th those three entities have to enter into a a tri-party agreement where they all agree to play nice in the sandbox and follow certain rules and guidelines. And as long as you do that, then, then David Gorski gives the green light and says, okay, go ahead. We're going to pay the commission to the PREC instead of to the agent. Yeah, we actually added one more layer on top of that. And uh, our brokerage actually requires a letter from um, the, the lawyer or the accountant stating that the initial corporation was incorporated um, in conjunction with and following all the RICO guidelines and rules. And the reason we did that is because, um, you know, some of these incorporations and structures are extremely complicated and we want to make sure that they're done correctly. A lot of it is to make sure that the realtor themselves are protected and, you know, a situation doesn't occur where RICO um, or any other regulatory body in the future comes back and says, well, something wasn't done correctly here. You know, you've been receiving all these commissions in an illegal way. Um, and, and, and the liability goes back onto the realtor and the brokerage. So we want to avoid that. We want to protect all the realtors that are going through this. We want them to work with the right professionals and get the right guidance from the start. So we do require a letter from uh, a certified uh, accountant or, or a legal law firm on their letterhead stating that everything was um, uh, done correctly. And, and going through this over the last uh, year and a couple of months, it's amazing how many uh, professionals actually refuse to provide that letter. Right. And, and the issue I have is if they're refusing to provide that letter, if they don't have trust in their own processes and their own, you know, way of, of making sure that everything is done correctly. And, and, and it's an interesting conversation with the realtors because the realtors come to me and they're upset. David, you know, we have this policy, uh, you know, you're, you're blocking my, my prep from going forward. And I always pull them aside, sit down with them and say, listen, if you're professional, doesn't have the confidence in what he's doing to issue a letter like that on his letterhead. I said, do you realize that you yourself are taking full responsibility if anything goes wrong in the future? Meanwhile, you paid this professional a lot of money to use their professional experience to set up this corporation for you. And when I explain it like that to them, I can just see a light bulb go off in their head. They're like, whoa, okay, you're so right. I have to go back and talk to my lawyer or my accountant and make sure that, you know what, I am doing everything correctly because ultimately they're the business owner. It's their license on their line. And they're the ones that are going to, uh, you know, feel the repercussions or, or of not having something done the correct way. So, you know, a lot of realtors are, are looking at some of the internal policies that we have. You have to be, you have to remember my brokerage has been around for 37 years. You know, we've gone through this many, many times and, our, our number one priority is to protect the realtor. That's really what we're doing. So we require a letter from, from an accountant or from a lawyer stating that everything's uh, incorporated correctly, that the realtor is protected. And then we keep that on file. And if anything happens in the future, um, you know that letter will serve to prove to everybody, including Rico, that everything was done correctly and that the brokerage uh, did their own due diligence um, upfront, making sure that everything is done correctly as well. Yeah, very, the reality very is that the way the government sets things up, like anybody can just go and incorporate a company. You don't need a lawyer. You don't need an accountant. Anybody can access the ministry's website or in the old days, walk into the ministry and incorporate a company. So just because you incorporate a company doesn't mean it's done properly. 
where you can do it. And there's two different things. One is incorporating a company and the other is organizing the, the, the company or the corporation properly. And by organization, you have to have you know, shares issued to certain parties. You have to have resolutions passed to appoint by the shareholders appointing directors. The directors are passing resolutions to appoint the officers. Shares have to be issued properly. So you have to organize a corporation properly too. So some people just say, oh, God, I, I want to prep. I'm going to just incorporate myself. I don't need Brett Starkman. I don't need David Corman. I can just, you know, I'll go on the web, I'll go to online. I'm going to incorporate a company, but that's not good enough because you can't just have a company. And, and that's what we look at when we get these things. Sometimes they're incorporated by the agents. Sometimes there's some accounts that, you know, I don't want to slam accounts, but sometimes there's certain accounts that incorporate too. And they just incorporate the exact same way to, regardless of what the business is or whatever they just, here's our precedent for incorporating a company, we get you a company. But but all, not all companies are created equally. You have to organize them properly to be able to use them. And here the government says, you can use this tax manager having a prep, but you have to follow certain rules. You have to organize it properly. So that's why David Gorski has to insist on confirmation. That's their due diligence that it's been incorporated properly, it's been organized properly, that the only shareholder is the licensed real estate agent. We have to see that and know that, otherwise you can't use it. And, and, and the summit would be at risk to pay out commission to, to the wrong entity. Yeah, and, and just to add on that, we never incorporate a company. And for all the listeners out there, if your accountant is going to incorporate for you, don't. Run. Unless they unless they have in-house legal, uh, you know, lawyers uh, that do what David Corman does, because I'm telling you guys, what David Corman said is 100%. You need to go to a lawyer and get this done properly. And I think it's very responsible of David Gorski and Sutton is what they're doing to make sure to protect their agents that things are done properly. Forget about the tax advice, but to have it done properly to use it, very, very important. Yeah, and when you really dig down to it, you know, people are just trying to save some money yeah. on, their, on their legal costs, on their accounting costs, to not spend the time to consult with, with Brett to get it set up properly, to not retain a law firm like mine to incorporate. And they try, they really just try to save some money, save a few bucks, but it, it's so foolish because the costs are not high. Like to cost to incorporate, you know, we, we get a prep done for a thousand bucks, you know, and half of that goes to the government for their fees. Like it's not an expensive proposition. You know, it's, it's really not, you know, and then there's an annual thing. You've got to maintain a corporate minute book. It's, there's an annual cost of, you know, a few hundred, 400, 500 bucks or something like that. But, but that is a, an expense to the corporation anyways. All these upfront costs are expenses to the corporation. They're really minimal. And they're spending a thousand or a couple thousand bucks to get this organized and set up to save thousands and thousands and thousands of money of tax dollars that would be going to the government. So that's not the place to go you know, to make shortcuts. Like just retain someone like Brett, get proper advice, get it incorporated properly, get it organized properly. Those, those costs are gonna be expenses anyways. They're minimal and you're gonna save thousands and thousands of dollars on top of it. So don't take shortcuts, you're, you're gonna kill you. Yeah, and, and just to add on that, you know, David, as, as you say, the fees are minimal in terms of, forget about tax savings, but if you do it wrong, it, you're going to have costs way in excess of your fees. Forget about the tax savings. Just yeah. you're going to have costs in the errors of fixing it up and this and that. Yes, the tax savings are going to more than cover your fees. But just generally speaking, I just want to clarify in terms of fees. So fees, um, David, you mentioned you know $1,000. But, but actually, you charge $2,000 because you charge $1,000 for your fee. And then there's disbursements in there as well. So you know, if, if, if I'm coming to you to set up a prep for me, I'm going to be paying you $2,000 between fees and disbursements. No, actually, we, we, we've set this up to, to, for ages that we're actually, it's a thousand bucks fees and disbursements. Well, that's a great deal, guys, yeah. because I know other lawyers 
that are charging two thousand dollars. Right. And then and then our fee and then our fees are generally, again, it depends upon how much time and how many questions um, clients ask. But our fees are generally in terms of you know consulting and advising and you know setting up you know your payroll accounts and whatnot. Our fees are generally between fifteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollars. Because, you know, there's a lot to do, you know, you're setting up a tax plan, you're setting up the structuring, you're setting up your payroll accounts, you need to know what to do, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's time there. So, uh, as I said, you're, you're looking at a few thousand dollars, but well worth the investment, I'm going to call it that, an investment for the tax savings you're going to enjoy in the future. And each and every year. Every year, every year, you're going to, you know, you're, you're, you just have to set it up properly. Yeah. And, and, you know, don't, don't, don't do any shortcuts at the beginning because, you know, this is something it's, you know, I love what you said, Brett, at the beginning in an annuity stream, right? Because it really is, you know, you have money that is coming back to you that you would otherwise be giving the government. It is an annuity. It's an indefinite annuity stream and you want to get it set up uh, properly from day one. Um, I know we're running low on time, but I also wanted to get into Brett really quickly is, um, you know, you set up a PREC. A PREC is almost like its own legal entity, right? Um, Realtors need to also change how they kind of behave when it comes to paying bills, paying expenses, and kind of how they, um, I don't want to say interact every day or- or But operate their company. Operate their company, exactly. And I think a lot of realtors are struggling with this. So I wanted to get into this as well and see if you can offer um, realtors any advice on this. Sure, sure. So so this is more, you know, accounting business advice as opposed to tax, but David, absolutely, very, very important. So when we have realtors coming to us and we do their personal tax returns, you know, we just get your revenues, we just get your expenses, and then, you know, the net income, uh, you know, we look, make sure everything is reasonable, that things don't stand out, like a sore thumb, that CRA is going to come back and look at it. So we want to be, you know, careful. Um, But you don't have to do a balance sheet. So when you have a company, you have to do financial statements. And financial statements include a balance sheet and an income statement. And what we do for a self-employed real estate agent or realtor is we do an income statement. You don't have to do a balance sheet. But now you have a company, you need financial statements done. And in order to do that, you need to keep track. So you should be opening up a separate bank account for the PREC, okay? And as we discussed, the tri-party agreement, Sutton would be paying fees, your commissions into the PREC. So now you deposit that in the bank statement of the PREC and all your expenses should be coming out of the PREC. So you write checks from the PREC or you get a Visa or MasterCard in the name of the PREC. So let's say it's, you know, David Gorski, uh, professional real estate corporation. He has that credit card. That credit card is only to be used for business expenses. And then you would cut a check from the PREC at the end of the month when the, when the Visa or MasterCard bill is due. And then you would need either a bookkeeper, okay, or an accountant to itemize all the items from your Visa Okay, so because in there you're going to have meals and entertainment, you're going to have supplies, you're going to have some, you know, automobile cost, you may have some travel, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to have that all itemized. And at the end of the year, you may have, you're going to have a balance of cash. You also may have payables because you haven't paid your visa bill yet. You may have receivables because you earned the commission, but you haven't received it yet. So a balance sheet is your financial position as at a point in time. Normally it's December 31st. So you would have your cash and that would be represented by your bank statement. You'd have receivables, commissions that were earned but not paid yet. You'd have payables, your bills that you have paid but have not paid yet but are are payable. So you'd set all that up in a financial statement. So you have to, there, there is some additional administration 
but as we said at the beginning, it's well worth it for the tax savings. David, any anything else? Because you know, I, I just tried to do it, um, you know, very simply. But you live and breathe this stuff. So, is there anything else that you want me to talk about, or that you want to bring up with respect to that? You know, a, a big question that we get, Brett, is people buying an automobile. How should they? Who should own the car? You know, we get that question a lot. Excellent um, question. Excellent. I, I just, I just got two calls on that yesterday. Okay, and um, that is an excellent question. So, and also one of the questions I got yesterday too is, is for electric vehicles. They said, should I get an electric vehicle, and what are the tax benefits? So, give me a couple minutes to talk about that because it's important. Okay. So if you buy, if you buy a car, the most you're allowed to depreciate is $30,000. Even if you paid 50,000, 60,000, the most you can depreciate is $30,000. In the life if, of the vehicle or per year? No, 30,000 for the entire life and wow. it's de- and it's declining balance is 30% a year. So let's say let's say you buy a car and it's um <clears throat> you know a, a car that's over $30,000 in the first year you can depreciate 30% of 30 is 9,000. Then the next year, it's going to be the 30 minus the nine you depreciate is 21,000 times the, the 30%. So that's 6,300. And then the next year is 21 minus the 6,300 times the 30%. And as you can see, it's a declining balance. With an electric vehicle, you can, depreci- you can depreciate $55,000 all in one year. Wow. You don't have to take it. You don't have to take it on the one year, but you can take it in one year. Now, you must buy or finance the car. You can't lease it. Leasing, you don't get that extra benefit. And leasing, the most you can deduct is $800. Now, here's the kicker with the question you $800, asked. Company, $800 a month. Per month, yes. $9,600 okay. per year, max, yes. Which is better than the depreciation, to be perfectly honest with you. So for tax purposes... Leasing is better than buying, but as we all know, leasing also can be a little more expensive because you know we're paying the interest rates and there's you know residual values at the end, et cetera. Let's, let's face it, car companies are in the business to make money. But to get back to David's very important question is, do I buy it in the company or do I buy it personally? Now, let's say me and my wife, we already have a car, and we're using that for business, personal. If we were to buy a new car and it's a third car and we're going to use it 100% for business and we can prove it, then you can buy it in the company. But other than that, I, re- I always recommend to clients buying personally. Why? Because if you buy in a company, and you don't use it 100% for business or even 90% for business, you can get a taxable benefit, okay, for using that car. I would prefer you buy the car personally and then put the expenses through, the business expenses through repairs and maintenance, insurance, gas, a piece of that lease, okay, for the business portion, okay? So I always recommend personal unless it's going to be a hundred percent for business and you can prove it so a hundred percent for business would mean you have more than one car first and foremost yeah i mean some people say well you know we only use my wife's car for personal and mine's a hundred percent for business and i say okay if you want to take that position just make sure you keep a log so you can prove that you do use it a hundred percent for business okay so here's here's my question so i'm trying to follow you let's say You've done a good job. You organize, You got a prec, and you and you've done a good job saving money in the prec. And you've got fifty thousand dollars, let's say, saved in year one in the prec. Okay, and you don't want to take that into your person. You want to leave it there, but you need a car. Okay, so do you use that money from from the prec to use? But you're saying, but I, you should buy the car personally. So how do so how do you do that? The money is in the prec. Okay. You keep bringing up great tax issues, David, both of you. <laughs> so with a car, again, it's very special. 
and they've and they've and the government has had these rules in place forever. And there's a section in the Income Tax Act. It's section 15 bracket two. Okay, so subsection 15 two, and it allows you to borrow money from your company for a car. Okay, and so you can borrow money to purchase a car for the bet for the business because you're using it for the business, but you have to have bona fide repayments to the company. Okay, so let's say if you were to lease a car or finance a car, you're gonna be paying over 36 months or 48 months. So if you borrow from your company to buy that car, just make sure you pay monthly over 36 months or 48 months. So it's a bona fide payment. And I would actually go to you, David Corman, to, to draw up some kind of agreement that I do have bona fide payments back to my company. Some sort of loan agreement, promissory yes. note or something. So, so the asset really stays in the PREC because instead of it just being money in the PREC, it's now the PREC is lending the money and getting back a promissory note or a loan agreement. So it's got, that's still an asset. So it still has the asset in the PREC for yes. tax purposes. Yes. But now you found a way to get the money to your personal account to go and, and buy or lease that car that way. But you do have to make the loan payments, like legitimate interest payments to have to do the interest uh yeah but interest interest only has to be at the prescribed rate which is one percent right now but as of june 1st prescribed interest rates going up to two percent yeah so it's a no it's a nominal amount it's not like what you'd be paying at the bank and then because um it's not earned income does the corporation or the prec have to pay higher taxes on that two percent Okay, so that's a great question. We would call that incidental income. So it's just like if you would have a bank account and you were an interest on that bank account, it's incidental to the business. It's not an investment. So no, I would say that no, you would not have to pay that higher rate of tax on it because it's incidental. It's not going to be much. Okay, amazing. Brett Starkman. Brett Always. Starkman. Brett Starkman. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. So valuable to have proper advice. And David Corman, I remember when Prex came out, and I mean, you know, there was so little information from the regulatory bodies and from the government as to structure, as to what these rules really look like. And you know, I, I feel like this team that we have here was was actually instrumental in coming up with some of the ground uh, triparty agreements and, and how we're going to kind of move forward. And I remember we worked very closely, the three of us together, to to put all these processes into place and and to move things along. And and you know, I'm very fortunate, very lucky to have both of you guys on our, on my team. And um, you know, I just wanted to uh, to say thank you on behalf of all the realtors that Dick Incorporate. Um, and on behalf of the whole industry, because I, I feel like, you know, we did a lot of really good work and that tri-party agreement that uh, your firm created, David, I mean, I shared that with Sutton Head Office and you know, I, I believe they circulated around quite a bit to, to some of the brokerages too, but, uh, um, you know, it was great. And, and you know, I, I thank both of you guys for, for working together and, and moving things along and really impacting the industry in a positive way. And I think David Corman needs some royalties for the, that agreement that's been passed around. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I should, we should have discussed that in advance. I didn't know it was going, going national. <laughs> Listen, the more people you can impact, you know, um, the more benefit you're going to get at the end of the day as well. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in karma. Yeah, and, and we're... A you know, firm supporter of, of the real estate agents and we want them to succeed and get out there and, and, and I'd rather they had more money in their pockets than the government. And, and that's the whole purpose of this. And there was many agents that we talked to, you know, a year and a half ago when this came out that were trying to decide. And for some of them, it was, no, that this doesn't make sense for you to do it. But a year and a half later, maybe now it does make sense to do it. Maybe they're doing better as agents, they're more successful as agents. Maybe they found a way to save money. So anybody that, you know, that passed on it at one point in time, you got to think about it again. Hopefully you're watching this, listening to it and say, okay, I, I got to, you know, talk to my accountant or I got to get Brett to take a look at this and see if this makes sense for me. And if not today, then maybe 
they have a good year this year, maybe next year it's going to make sense. But you can also set it up and for these minimal costs, and then you may not use it yet because you just, or you're not being able to use it to the fullest because you don't have the ability to save. Doesn't mean you shouldn't structure it if you plan on, you know, that you're, you know, things will improve. You know, right now we're in a down market right now. So no, no agents are as busy as they'd like to be, but that's not going to last. You know, it's, it's always cyclical. So anybody out there, don't worry. It's only May. There's going to be a better market than there is right now. There will be more commissions earned. The end of the, and it might be a real good chance it'll be later this year. Maybe it'll be this summer. Maybe it'll be in the fall. You'll get earn all this commission. How, how you want to keep most of it in your pocket? Talk to Brett Starkman about how to keep most of it in your pocket instead of the government's pocket. 100%. Brett, always, uh, always a pleasure having you on. Um, great conversation and uh, looking forward to uh, doing more of these in the future with you. Yes, and, th and thanks, guys, for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And um, good luck to everybody. All right. Awesome. Thanks.